uh, next edition of the Braden Heidner Low podcast. Today's guest is Blaine Finch. Blaine represents the 59th district in the Kansas legislature. He's been there since 2013 and represents the good folks of Ottawa, Kansas, and surrounding areas. Welcome, Mr. Finch. Hey, Scott. Great to be with you today. Thanks for coming in. Been excited to have you. Been looking forward to it. So for listeners out there, it's uh, it's not quite January yet, so it's not official, but uh, big things taking place in the Finch world. He was just elected Speaker Pro Tem of the Kansas Legislature. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, quite an honor to be selected by, uh, at this point, the, the Republican caucus, and uh, we'll make it official here shortly. And with uh, with everybody but it's uh, it's a big honor that's cool found not guilty by a jury of your peers so to speak well you know it's also been described as the dog that's chasing the car and you know now you've caught it and what are you going to do with it right uh, and uh, <laughs> i won't speculate what you're going to do with the car <laughs> <laughs> for now just hanging off the bumper man <laughs> right well you know we've worked together with you in the legislature for years primarily as chair of the judiciary committee what uh, what's going to be different about the drill now that you're in leadership well you know you it, it's like any election that you get to any office you go from being one of us to being one of them yeah. so now you're one of those guys in leadership and uh for the rank and file members uh who come in and do their job every day they're gonna be what, what, what's leadership doing for us uh and and <laughs> so you know that'll be the that'll be the big question what are those guys thinking um uh, That'll be different. Obviously, working in judiciary, even though we covered a lot of ground, you know, uh, did about a third of the bills that the legislature did any given year, came through judiciary. Uh, we covered a lot of subjects, but you're still covering that area. And in leadership, you got to be mindful of the other 18 House committees and what the Senate committees are doing. And uh, so there's a little bit more of a, an air traffic control kind of uh, function to the job, I think, than there was in just being a chairman and focused in on your stuff. I bet that's right. Not only the different subject matters, but the different personalities. There are a lot of different personalities, and uh, we've got a, an eclectic group coming in this year as freshmen, uh, good group uh, with diverse backgrounds, and, and they're eager to add their voices to the process. Uh, and then you've, you've just got, you know, 125 personalities in that room and 40 across the dome. And this time we throw in a new governor, which is going to be uh, an interesting experience for most legislators. They have never worked with a Democratic governor, uh, you know, somebody from that party. So that will be a whole new experience yeah, uh, for no doubt. a lot of people up there. No doubt. Uh, so, you know, it's like being promoted to management now and people walk around and say, we're going to stick it to the man. Yeah. Now you are the man. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you, you walk around with that uh, that uh, vest on so nobody puts a knife in your back. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what's it? One more question about the speaker pro tem thing. Um, but honestly, what's the difference? So you've campaigned for office lots of times before, and you're out there in front of the voters. What is the difference in going door-to-door and talking to voters and having to campaign with other politicians for their vote for leadership. Oh, boy, that's an hour-long show in and of itself if right? uh, you want to talk about that. I told uh, I, I, you people ask you, where are you at? How's your vote count? You know, how, how are you feeling about the race? And I said, well, you know, you're counting on politicians to shoot you straight about how they're going to vote on something. <laughs> and and uh, I, I say that full knowledge that, yes, I'm also one of them. But right. it's, uh, it's difficult to, uh, to know right up until the vote happens, you know, or all the commitments you have real. Uh, and, of course, you're going around and talking to people who are very, very adept at uh, 
communicating in a way that you don't really know what they're thinking. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's your job to try to cut through that and figure out exactly <laughs> what they're thinking. So, yeah, it was it was challenging. It was probably the most difficult campaign that I've ever been involved in from the standpoint of very limited set of voters. You know exactly what number you're trying to hit. Uh, and they are all savvy in the ways of making you feel good about yourself but not giving you a commitment. Yeah. So. I bet that's right. I, I can't imagine, honestly, you know, working – with legislators all the time, as we do, um, it, it's one thing to go lobby them and talk policy. I can't imagine campaigning for their vote. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah, I, you know, it, it gave me a newfound appreciation for what you guys go through in your line of work, uh, <laughs> because I thought I thought this several times. You know, the the firms that are good at what they do and getting value for their clients are the ones that can count votes and can get to that place of commitment or decision from policymakers. It's something yeah. your firm does well. Uh, it's something you do well. Uh, I think it's it's uh, it separates the good ones from the mediocre or or even poor ones, uh, and it, it definitely having to do it in a leadership race gives you a newfound appreciation for the skill set involved, yeah. and a newfound appreciation for the people who do it well. It's its own art, no doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, well, I think I'm going to wind back the clock a little bit for our listeners here. Um, anybody that hasn't met Blaine. Uh, the political beginnings started a lot earlier than most. You were elected mayor of Ottawa when you were how old? I was uh, elected to the Ottawa City Commission back in 1997. Uh, I turned 20 during the campaign and then became mayor uh, a little bit later. We're a city commission city, so every year one of the commissioners is mayor. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like a, a city where they directly elect the mayor, but it is an honor. You have to be then selected by your fellow commissioners to be the mayor. Uh, so yeah, I was 19 when I when I announced and started running. Wow, and elected at 20 and then became mayor. <clears throat> yeah, within I think. Uh, well, I actually ended up I was mayor pro tem when I started. Uh, I, I seem to like these pro tem jobs, and then uh, the mayor left. So yeah. I ended up being the acting mayor about nine months after the election. And when you campaigned, was it an open seat, or did you have a challenger? Well, there were actually um, I think there were three seats open that year on a five-member commission. There were eight of us which forced a primary, which is unusual. Yeah. So there was a February primary because municipal elections were in the spring back then. Uh, my birthday was in February. And then we had the, uh, I, I was the top vote getter in the primary, and we dropped one person off. So then we had seven of us competing for the three <laughs> seats in, in April and uh, was able to come out on top there as well and be the top vote getter. So that was, that was an interesting time. I was still in college uh, at the time. And uh, I remember one of my professors there at Ottawa University, a guy named Ronnie Averett, uh, who's passed away. But uh, he, he said, Finch, you got no chance. He said, yeah, <laughs> he said, I don't even know why you're doing this. Even my own dad after the election, goes, <laughs> boy, I'm glad you won. But I didn't think you could win at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for not telling me, Dad. <laughs> uh, I'm right behind you, son. I can't believe you won. <laughs> We, we never thought you had it in you. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for that vote of confidence. Right. But, you know, I did learn a little parenting tip there. Don't tell your kids they can't do it until <laughs> after they've uh, they've done it or failed. <laughs> That's funny. Um, was it you were like ride a wave of scandal into office? Were there people stealing public funds to buy cocaine and, and other illicit services? And so... <laughs> You rode the wave of outrage, or did you just outwork these guys? It was it was a lot like the Rob Ford of uh, of Ottawa that I was following up. No, I mean, there was, a, there was a huge cocaine scandal, and 
<laughs> and yeah, misuse did, of interns and public funds, and yeah. Didn't he stroke out and pass away? I think he's gone, but his brother, after. his yeah. brother is like a mayor up yeah. there now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't think he's quite as colorful. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, and I thought it was always a shame that Chris Farley had passed away first, because that was the guy that oh, was born to play. He would have been. Perfect for right? Ford. Yeah. I mean, that would have been at least three or four Saturday Night Live cold <laughs> opens. Oh, man, that would have been awesome. For listeners, if you don't know who Rob Ford is, go out and Wikipedia him, and, and you'll see immediately Chris Farley would have been the guy. Yeah, it would have been perfect. It and would if, have been perfect. And if you don't know the the story of, of Rob Ford, it was Rob, right? Yeah, I think yeah. that's right, yeah. Uh, if you think America is the only one with interesting political <laughs> dynamics at work, go check out yeah, Mr. Ford. Is he mayor of Toronto? I, I think, think that was it. Yeah, yeah, I think it was Toronto. And it, it wasn't like it was some backwater town. I mean, right. it was a fairly large city. And yeah. Then, uh, yeah, he's out there. <laughs> where, where you can, uh, Toronto, where you can have your Coke and snort it too. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might have been his slogan for the reelection campaign. So. We're still talking about marijuana legalization down here in the uh, in the, in the lower uh, reaches, but up there in the Great White North, apparently they take it seriously. You know, I had never thought of the uh, euphemism of the Great White North and his yeah, they don't mean snow until right yeah. now. Yep, yep. Okay, I'm behind the curve. Well, well, before before we get all the way into cocaine on our right. podcast here, um, but actually speaking of cocaine. Uh, talk a little bit about, I think this is a cool story too. So you're sitting down in Ottawa and you're mayor and, uh, probably don't even realize or quite appreciate, honestly, what a cool deal it is, uh, to be a mayor at that young an age. And you get a phone call from which magazine was it? It was Esquire magazine. Esquire magazine. I'd actually been, you know, this was, you think back to 1997, not everybody had cell phones at the time, so Mm -hmm. it wasn't like it is now. Uh, and I was at City Hall one day, and they said, hey, we've got a phone message for you. We need you to, uh, uh, the you know, little pink slips. You remember those? I those do. Little pink phone Vividly. slips. And, yeah. And uh, I said, here, and I looked at it, and it was a, a, a an editor from Esquire magazine. I said, oh, come on. There's got to be some kind of joke, you know. Uh, but I returned the call, and, uh, and they said, we're doing a, an issue on heroes. And uh, we saw your story go across the AP wire, and we wondered what kind of heroes does a, a 20-year-old mayor have uh, and you know we'd like to like to know, and so I thought about it for a while, and I sent them back uh, some names of, of people that I found heroic, and and thought you know that that'll be the end of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I get a call back from them a few days later, and said, "How do you feel about coming out to New York?" Uh, and I said, "Well, yeah, it'd be great." And they said, "We want to pay for you to come out to New York and meet." Uh, one of your heroes, who was Frank Serpico, uh, the New York police officer who helped ex- expose corruption in the department. Wow. Uh, and was ultimately shot uh, uh, on a, a raid that they were doing, and his partners left him to die uh, in retribution for his exposing corruption within the department. Yeah. So it was a, a fascinating time, you know, for for me, a kid from Kansas, I'd never been to New York City, so to go out and hang out in New York City for a night and run around with this editor from the magazine and, uh, you know, go down on Broadway and no doubt do all the touristy stuff. And the next day we went up into uh, upstate New York and, and met Frank uh, and had the chance to talk to him and, and spend some time. And just a very, very cool guy. That's uh, incredible. So Esquire called him. Well, first of all, they called you in Ottawa, Kansas, and knew about you being a married young age, and you sent them that info, and then they tracked down Frank Serpico yep. and said, we've got a 20, what, two, 
year old. Still 20 at the time. That 20. was, that was yeah, in we my mayoral year. Yeah. And they told Frank Serpico, we've got a 20-year-old mayor from Ottawa, Kansas. Uh-huh. You're on his heroes list. And Serpico said, yeah, I'd meet him, no sweat. How cool is that, right? No doubt. I mean, and, and for him, you know, to take time out of his life and, and say, yeah, I'll do that. Uh, yeah, there's nothing in that for him. Yeah. Uh, and just time and and he gave it and we went out there and and one of the cool things about that story is while we're out there they're they're doing a photo shoot real quick so you can get a photo for the the story and we go out into the upstate new york and it's beautiful it's rolling green hills and all that and we we find this little spot that they they turn off to to get a picture and the photographer jumps up on the hood of the car and has the camera on a tripod and he's you know frank and i are standing there with the hills in the background they're taking a picture and this white-haired guy comes out of nowhere and just starts to beat the band, starts chewing on this editor. You know, get the hell off my property. What are you doing out here? Da, 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 da. I'm like, man, that guy looks familiar. I think I know him from somewhere. And and the editor's like, get the shot, get the shot. You know, so we, we, we get the shot. He, he keeps him delayed for a while. And we're walking back out of the property. And, and, uh, and, and the, I said, who was that guy? He said, you're not going to believe this. He said, that is Lee Marvin's twin brother. Lee Marvin, the actor. Lee Marvin, Dirty like Dozen. The Dirty Dozen. Lee Marvin. And, and it, it, it truly, his twin brother. And that's why I look familiar, right? It's like Lee Marvin <laughs> is chewing our butts to get off his property. It's his twin brother. And that's where the Marvin family would have their summer home. That's where they vacationed. That's crazy. When they were kids. So you've got, you know, the identical twin, at least, of the guy that, you know, was so intimidating from the Dirty Dozen, whatever. Right up there screaming at you while you're arm in arm with, with Frank, Frank Serpico. Serpico. Yeah. And you're like, whoa. <laughs> Truth is stranger than fiction. Yeah. So it's a, it, it was an amazing trip, but it was kind of a twofer that way. I got to meet Frank and Lee Marvin's <laughs> twin brother and get kicked off of Lee Marvin's property. So. I won't ask if you've been kicked off a of property since that time. Uh, that wouldn't be the first time. Right. Wouldn't be the last time. <laughs> uh, only time by a member of Lee Marvin's family. And I have no doubt all the others happened as part of a heartfelt civic protest trying to right a wrong. Yeah, or some kind of mistaken identity. Yeah, it it wasn't me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's change gears then as long as we're, uh, you know, talking about bad judgment and such. Uh, (laughs) Three three things that I've always appreciated about you fundamentally, uh, it's not your ability to dissect the nuance of policy and legislative language it's it's not your public service it's the fact that you are a fan of three things that personally i think uh, contribute to america's greatness as much on a day-to-day basis as anything which of course would be whiskey cigars and country music so i think we should switch gears a little bit uh i got a text message from you last night i'm, I'm paraphrasing it here but basically said uh whiskey on the patio and patty loveless what a great night yeah pretty much sorry i had to put my drink down um (laughs) (laughs) as far as i'm concerned that that little brief text message summed up you know uh, oh yeah absolutely that is uh you know and that's the 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 I have to do the freshman orientation every year. So uh, every other year we kind of, I've been asked to come up and talk to him. And one of the, one of the lessons I teach him is lobbyists aren't your friends. And, (laughs) and I said, you know, they're great people and they supply you with information and they are an essential part of what makes the system work. But at the end of the day, they have a job to perform and you have a job to perform and don't get confused about the two. 
But I also tell them there are people that you are going to meet here and you're going to connect with and you're going to find that you have a friendship, a genuine friendship with. Um, and I said, you have to have the wisdom to figure out when that is. Uh, and, and I think, you know, you talk about the, the shared love of, you know, good liquor and, and good music and a good cigar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that you're, you're one of those guys where we, we have uh, developed that friendship where we, we can share some of those finer things. And, you know, there's nothing better than sitting around a fire with a good drink and, and some good tunes. Uh, and, and if you can get out and have a, have a cigar, unfortunately, not, not often in the house, but, uh, right. yeah, have to take it outside. But, right. Uh, yeah, delicious. I mean, I'm a huge bourbon fan. Um, and, uh, you know, get a good bottle of Blanton's, uh, just was, discovered Rowan's Creek. I was just going to ask you what you've discovered lately that's on the shelf. Yeah. Rowan's Creek is interesting. It's a, it, it's, it's a good, uh, it's a good bourbon. It's got a little hint of almost licorice in it, hmm. uh, which is kind of interesting. I'm not a huge licorice but, fan, but, but it's, not, it works. Not, not too Jaeger-y though. No, 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 yeah. not like that. But it's, uh, it's really good. Of course, Blanton's is the old standby and I've, yeah. I've been able to stockpile a few bottles since that's getting harder and harder to get now, uh, and, and keep that up in the cabinet. I have a pantry, a walk-in pantry at the house and, and you've been there and seen it and you go inside and you look up and it's just nothing but booze around the top shelf. Yep. Uh, the, and the uh, door opens up and the ambient <laughs> halo light comes up and the angels sing, ha. <laughs> I probably, <laughs> it's probably more of a collector's problem at this point than a drinker's problem uh, because I don't drink most of it. It just sits there and looks pretty, but yeah. it's, uh, you know, it's something when you find a good bottle. Uh, and the other one I, I just recently acquired, which is really kind of neat. I've, there's an orphan barrel product called Rhetoric uh, that's a really delicious bourbon, and they have, it, it's a blended bourbon, but they have been aging it, uh, sourced from other places. They took it, put it in their barrels. And they have a 21, 22, 23, and I think they're up to the 24 year now. Oh, wow. And the, the 20, I have the 22 and the 23, and the 23 year is just one of the best bourbons I've ever tasted. It's just delicious. Sounds tasty and expensive. Um, well, you know, it, it depends on what you like to spend your money on. Right. You know? No doubt. But uh, one of these days, I actually need to open the bottle. I, I've <laughs> tasted the 23, just not my bottle of the 23. <laughs> You know, I've got the, you talk about it's more a collector's problem than a drinker's problem now. Um, I've got the same thing with my big humidor cabinet oh. at home, you know. And that is an impressive collection, <laughs> let me tell you. I go home to my little humidor and I think, oh, that looks kind of sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way, though. I've got cigars in there that I'm like, oh, I'll save this for a special occasion. And, and you know, but we're probably, life's passing us by. We ought to just smoke it and drink it just because it, it you know it, it goes by awfully fast i was telling some of the the new freshman members in the kansas house i said you know to quote ferris bueller life moves by pretty quick yep. if you don't stop and smell the roses you once in a while you just might miss it you just might miss what it. a great yeah. quote yeah that's awesome <laughs> well last uh booze comment a lot of our buddies down in nashville it's interesting how drinks take flight in different areas mm-hmm. of the country first very regional yeah four roses oh that's become all the rage down there, mm-hmm. and I think it's reached here. Have you have mm-hmm. you imbibed? Oh yeah, Four Roses has a couple of different products. They have a single barrel that's really good. They have a small batch that's really good. Uh, I highly recommend it, and they have a kind of a unique bottle. It's a mm-hmm. pretty bottle, and their distillery is right there on the Bourbon Trail. Uh, and if you if you get back that way um, in Kentucky and go down the trail, it's it's kind of right in the middle. Um, and, and it's a neat spot. I like the Woodford Reserve when you go out and, and tour there, but uh, you can't beat, uh, you know, Four Roses is just very smooth, very good bourbon. 
Very cool. Yeah. What about cigars? Favorite brands? Um, favorite smokes? Well, I mean, it wouldn't uh, if we weren't making fun of Gavin Kreidler a little bit and talking about his Tadascans, right? <laughs> I, I think we his, should his Hondurans. I think you should not hold back. And and yep. you know, <laughs> it's funny because they're like the Swisher sweets of uh, of big boy cigars. <laughs> And you know what's awesome for our listeners out there? This is a, a sidebar because most of you may not know Gavin, but he's a great friend of ours. Yep. Um, but in addition to the his cigar brand we're making fun of, he has chronic ADD. So uh, even if I tell him he should listen to this podcast, he'll, he'll, never, he'll never get this far no, in. No, not a and it'll be perfect. Yep. And if he did, it'll be at like two in the morning when he gets up. So. <laughs> <laughs> we could make any spurious allegation we oh, yeah. wanted to. Yeah. And, and once we've once we pass the fifteen minute mark on the tape, we're safe. So yep, it's all sure. good. But yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, those those are a good start. I really like the uh, the my fathers. Those are uh, yeah. those are delicious cigars. Absolutely, just, just wonderful. And uh, yeah, and you know, I don't know near enough about them. Like I said, my humidor is this little thing that suffers by comparison to yours. Uh, but mostly, I just say, Scott, what what do you recommend? And that's what I end up smoking. <laughs> but uh, there's there's some good. Uh, cigar aficionados in the uh, in the legislature. Brenda Landwehr from down in Wichita loves yeah. to smoke a stick every now and then. She's and a champ. Yeah. And knows her stuff, too. And, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, she, she has, has a, a locker. A locker at Humidor West. Right? Yeah. And uh, and I've been traveling the state a little bit, and and, uh, and we were supposed to meet up, and unfortunately she couldn't make it, but we were supposed to meet up and have a cigar and uh, and and uh, and just catch up a little bit. And she's oh, yeah, I've got this locker, and I've got like 250 yeah. cigars in it. And so get a load of this. I met her down there that earlier this summer in Wichita. I knew I was coming down, had something to visit with her about, so we met out there and had a cigar. And uh, this is the difference between, you know, a person of faith and an evangelist. I mean, a person of faith has a locker. An evangelist, when I walked out of there, I had a one-pager on their locker program. <laughs> she said, well, you know, you come down here for work quite a bit, and it's an easy place to meet, and, uh, you know, maybe you just ought to have your... I'm like, do you get a cut of this, Brenda? Yeah, she, yeah, I think she does. I think she does. She was, she was, she was going to see if she could sell you some detergent or some juice plus or... I mean, yeah, would you like to buy a timeshare? <laughs> Here we have a lovely locker program for our cigars. And well, she could probably sell you on it, too. Yep. She's pretty persuasive. Yep. She knew she had the hook in already, that's for sure. <laughs> well, hey, uh, the third on the uh, uh, list of, of great American traditions here, booze cigars, but save the best for last, um, shared love of music and specifically older music and maybe most specifically the classic country music. Yeah, I mean, you know, classic country is just the the depth of feeling, the the specificity of the emotion. Uh, you know, it, it, there's just nothing really like it. Yep. Uh, and uh, there are some good artists in country music today, but it's taken a different turn. It's much more commercialized, much more uh, poppy and mainstream for the most part. And you've got your Jamie Johnsons and Chris Stapletons and and, and those kinds of folks that are you know trying they, to keep a little more original. They've got their thumb in the dike. Yeah, yeah, but they really yeah. do. I mean, they're being overrun by the uh, Florida Georgia by the, line. By the crew. savages, yeah. yeah. All right, the barbarians are at the gate and they're they're burning it down. <laughs> the gate's leaning. <laughs> it's a little bit like one of those Walking Dead episodes where there's a whole lot more zombies outside than than there are people inside. <laughs> Tremendous analogy. That's <laughs> Baby, exactly your song. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Zombies out there, <laughs> and they're and they're loudly playing Florida Georgia line. Right, and there's these zombies out there with the tailgate down, speakers going boom, boom, boom. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, what what pop crossover star can we get to be our guest on this tune? Yeah. 
the one thing you've never heard. This is a country music joint between uh, you know this pop artist and, and this group. But right. you know the the uh, you know the, you're obviously the possum. You know, and you talk about he yeah. stopped loving her today, mm-hmm. and you know probably number one on the the sad country charts. I really my my subgenre would be sad country music. Amen. I really like the stuff yep. that you're just like you get a little choked up every time you hear it. You yeah. know. Uh, you know Alison Krauss? Oh, yes. I read an article with her one time. This is the greatest quote ever. She was, she's totally into the sad songs like we are. And it really is its own subset of people that want to listen to heartbreaking music. Yeah, you know? yeah give me some bourbon and some morose music, and yeah. I'm just going to sit here. And Alison <laughs> Krauss, her quote was, she was talking about how much she likes sad songs, and she finally she's like, yeah, if I listen to a song and it makes me feel totally like crap, I know I'm going to record it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, I could totally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she's done a couple, too. I mean, you know, she, oh, yeah. back with Union Station and, and a lot of, you know, covering some Keith Whitley stuff, which yep. there's a guy. Oh, you man. Know. Yeah. Wow. Talk no Stranger to the Rain. And, heartache. And then, you know, yeah. the inspiration, right, for Vince Gill's Go Rest High on That Mountain, along sure. with his brother. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and that, there's another sad song, but I just love that stuff. You know, Patty Loveless, How Can I Help You to Say Goodbye. And, and, Brutal. And Diamond Rio, You're Gone. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I just read the Diamond Rio biography. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, it sucks. <laughs> if you have, I love Diamond Rio. I was so jones to see there was a biography, rushed out and bought it, and... Man, they laid an egg. If, oh, no. If you have a choice between jumping off a jagged cliff or spending three hours on the Diamond Rio biography, jump off the cliff. I'm going to go ahead and pass on that. Yeah. Maybe walk down my, my gravel driveway barefoot for a while. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> to go out and get my junk mail? Yeah. I, yeah, that sounds like a great time. No, I mean, I, that is there's just something, I think, in that music that connects more emotionally it's more visceral uh, than a lot of the stuff that's out there today. And yeah. uh, and that's not to say somebody doesn't hit it out of the park every now and then and, and produce something new yep. uh, that, that's really good. But uh, for the most part, it's hard to beat that stuff uh, and, and uh, hard to beat a, a good night on the on the screened-in porch with a, a drink in hand and listening to some of that, that uh, sad, sad stuff. And, Amen. And uh, just feeling your feelings for a while. Makes life worth living, doesn't what's it? Your, what's your favorite sad country song? Oh, man. Um, does it have to be, you know, genuinely heartbreakingly sad or just so emotive that well, yeah, it makes you one. feel either so one. much? I mean, technically uh, it's your podcast, so you get to pick. But <laughs> I didn't I didn't mean to hijack it, but I just because uh, you're a guy that you have musical talent. You you play and 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 sing. And, you know, you've got these guys that you're connected up with uh, from Nashville and and bring them back here and share the love and share music with people. Yeah. So, you know, I, you've, you've got a, a much larger catalog that you draw from, so I'm fascinated to know what you think. I'd have to <coughs> I'd have to just blow through a handful here. Um, Good Old Boys Like Me by Don Williams. Mm. That's not a sad song, right. but as an emotional song for mm-hmm. anybody that gets it. Uh, Love Me by Colin Ray. Mm. Yep. As a, one of the original 90s Oh, yeah. Soul wrenchers, uh, you know. You mentioned he stopped loving her today. I'd go with some other possum music. The Grand Tour. Oh, step right up. Oh, come on in. <laughs> that is just knee buckling from the word go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I can't even get started on Merle Haggard. We'll run out of tape. Oh. That, oh, I love Merle Haggard. Yep, he's the man. He's the all-time hero. There's, there's, there's nothing like Merle Haggard uh, anymore. You no. Know it. No, no, never will be again. Yeah. Uh, just my humble opinion, but but I happen to be right. 
when you look at <laughs> that's what makes it a humble opinion <clears throat> exactly yeah. exactly uh, I tell people all the time there may be better singers out there than Merle Haggard not many um, there are a few better musicians out there than Merle Haggard but not a ton and there may or may not be better songwriters out there I'm not convinced of that I think he may be the best but when you look at the combination singer, musician, songwriter, he is without parallel. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a, I think that's an easily defensible case to be made. I'm going to tell you that's probably a pretty cold take. Uh, yep. But yeah, I, yeah. I like it just the same. I read an interesting profile piece on him. I think it was GQ, towards the end of his uh, career and life, and, and he's on the tour bus down in Florida with his wife, and I can't remember wife number whatever, <laughs> uh, you know. But eating Cheetos and I think drinking orange pop. You know, in the in the parking lot of some arena in Orlando, Florida, you know, and, yeah. you, and you realize the unglamorous side of that life, uh, you know, because, you know, you're on the way up and then at some, way, at some point in your career, you're on the way down when you're one of those guys. And he just kind of had maintained this schedule of driving around and playing these small arenas and. And uh, that wow. is that is absolutely true. Absolutely true. But I will say this. If you tell me. The uh, the waning chapter of my life involves me eating Cheetos, drinking orange pop, and getting ready to go play music on stage, even for a small crowd. I would say challenge accepted, sir. Yeah, I mean there are worse <laughs> ways to to go out, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Better that than gumming my food, hopped up on <laughs> palliative narcotics, and and. No. <laughs> we we all end up in a Walmart parking lot at some point, right? It's just a question of what vehicle you're in when you're there. And a tour bus ain't a bad way to be. <laughs> well, you know, we're I mentioned earlier running out of tape. We probably should shut this down before too awful long. But a couple of things that I made a note of while we were here. I saw a movie the other day, uh, an Ottawa-Kansas connection that – you know, you, I'm sure, know, and probably half our listeners, but, man, I did not. There's a movie out right now called Front Runner. It's a story of Gary Hart, mm-hmm. his presidential campaign in, would it have been, 88? 87 into 88. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, he was, you know, Democratic front runner, mm-hmm. very handsome, charismatic guy. Most people from Ottawa are that way. Uh, <laughs> so... Really, it was repetitive to even yeah, note I that. Yeah, I just I felt it? like yeah. yeah for some of your <laughs> listeners, because this is an auditory experience, they might not connect the visual, uh, and I felt like we should make it clear for him. Well, yes. So let me let me start over. He was one of the typical yeah typical um, guy from Ottawa. Yeah, yeah, you know, handsome, charming guys yep. from Ottawa, Kansas. Which, if I ever knew, I'd long forgotten. <laughs> and uh, but now seems so obvious, right? Yeah, it yeah. does. Okay. I mean, I mean, how could I not have suspected, frankly, right. that he was from Ottawa? That, that just comes so clear now. But um, fascinating story. And do you have any memory of him? You know, since he is an Ottawa native, once upon a time. I remember the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have been about uh, 10 uh, years old. I was born in 77, so around around 87, I was 10. Uh, and I remember, obviously, the campaign and the buzz around Gary being from Ottawa. Um, he had come back and given a speech there at the university at one point. Um, and, of course, there were stories in the local newspaper, and there were some national write-ups. And uh, and I, I, I told somebody the other day, one of my one of the most interesting memories is the, again, a GQ piece or an Esquire, kind of a long-form piece about the campaign, and they talk about 
Ottawa, Kansas, where Gary's from, where all the women are Midwestern and doughy, D-O-U-G-H-Y. Oh, and I thought, what a what a wow. cool, damning piece. No uh, doubt. And they wonder why we get fussy about, you know, left coast elitists oh. or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, right, right. We're just flyover country with yeah. the, the doughy people. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, it was just, it was it was cold. You could definitely tell there was some, some coastal bias in that story. <laughs> That's but, brutal. Yeah, yeah. And I think the story went downhill from there, but. Uh, yeah, Gary was actually um, a member of the Hart Pence family, uh, which is a kind of a common last name in the area. Uh, and he shortened his name, uh, I think, probably for political purposes and, mm-hmm. and made it easier. But he uh, he did not forget where he was from in the sense that he, um, you know, he never never tried to shake Ottawa or, or you know, pretend to be something else. And, yeah. Um, in, the, in the movie, he there's a scene where he fights with his staff because he wants to do one of his policy speeches in Ottawa, Kansas. and people the staff is saying you know this is not no the people there are too doughy we can't do right. it right no. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny no but, but yeah you're right i mean they, they they he he wanted to go back and i think you know uh wanted to be part of the community now of course like anything else you know small town somebody goes off and makes good and there's people who are jealous of that right. and want to try to tear that down and yeah well, yeah but he moved around a lot when he lived here or, you know he dropped the the, right. the pence from his name or or uh, or whatever but yeah i, I have some uh, you know the memories of a 10 year old that, that you would remember you know about fifth grade of, of him um, of him running and that being kind of a thing in ottawa i forgot how purely intellectual he was what a policy driven guy he was i just remembered you know more the good-looking guy who was then alleged to be having an affair but uh he was a hardcore policy wonk smart guy and very very into the details very into you know how you design policy that actually gets something done and and tries to limit the collateral consequences of of what you're doing yeah um and, and you know went on to have a very long career in public service even after that uh campaign and and in retrospect you look back at what happened in his campaign, and a few short years later, you had you know Bill Clinton in the White House, and and his scandals, and the ones that we've seen in years since, and you think, wow, that was not nearly as big, mm-hmm. uh, but yet totally eliminated his chances at the presidency. Whereas some of the things that are happening today, you go, they don't seem to have an impact at all. And something I didn't realize, you know, because it happened so long ago, and I was younger too. I'm six years older than you are, but the the sustaining memory I have is he had an affair and it cost him the election. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't remember is that uh, both he and um, Donna Donna Rice, Rice, yeah, uh, to this day, both of them fervently maintain it never happened. Yeah. And, you know, they had followed him to his house and she went in. They never saw her come out, but he later said there was a back door, which there was. And, uh, you know, I'm (laughs) <laughs> Not necessarily sure I'm buying into his denial or whatever, but I, I had forgotten that, you know, it was disputed whether or not it even happened, unlike some of these other scandals, and it still categorically sunk him. And, and, and kind of an odd place in our history, if you think about, you know, we, we knew about presidential indiscretions before him, mm-hmm. and they were not disqualifying, and then his seems to be the one case where it really did eliminate his chances to be president yeah um or or to to be a viable candidate and and before and after it was known that things had happened uh and and they don't seem to have been disqualifying so it's kind of a unique little slice and and then add on top of that that they still dispute that it happened and and it adds a whole nother uh layer to the to the story as well but it is a 
it is a fascinating episode in history and, and kind of a an interesting connection to Ottawa. Yeah, um, for and, sure. And GQ writers aside, uh, it, it, it's a pretty <laughs> cool place. <laughs> well, hey, let's wrap up with this. So uh, Rorschach tests, you know, where they show you the ink blot, and you have to say the first thing that comes to mind. Oh, man. I'm going to give you I the always th- fail those, by the way. <laughs> I didn't know you could <laughs> fail a Rorschach test. Yeah, I've done it several times. <laughs> <laughs> Every blot, you see a violent hate crime in the, in the middle of the ink, and pretty soon you're medicated. Right. That looks like bourbon. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, uh, so we'd never put you on the spot to ask you to say anything critical, but I might put you on the spot to pay some compliments and list some favorites sure. which uh, uh, on some topics hopefully you enjoy. So if you can think of one, name it. If you're like, oh, I can't think of one, but I'll give you three or four or five, that's cool too. Uh, favorite movie? Favorite movie. Uh, it, it's kind of strange. Uh, well, Tombstone is yeah. head and shoulders. Just the one-liners and the characters I just love. And yeah. uh, and probably a, a, a little bit of a weird choice. I always liked Forrest Gump. I thought that was kind of a neat movie. I don't know if that's a weird choice. I think uh, 68% of Americans would probably sign on for that. Yeah, I mean... So yeah, you know, a little bit of a, a little bit of tough guy western and a little bit of feel good. Right. Yeah. 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 A man in touch with all of his emotions across <laughs> the spectrum, Lane. <laughs> Uh, and you, it's funny, you asked me this question earlier, but I'll turn it around on you. Favorite music artists, any genre? Oh, boy. Any genre, huh? Um, probably probably favorite that I would uh, just, you know, sit and listen to a lot of Johnny Cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, really enjoy Johnny Cash. Uh, more recent, uh, and, and you and I differ a little bit on this, I just like Sturgill Simpson's music. I could sit and listen to that for a while. It's It's very deep. Uh, compared to a lot of what's out there right now, um, and and uh, I know for you as an artist, he's a, too much of a mumbler. <laughs> I was uh, just going to say we need to clarify. <laughs> it's not his music I don't like. I just hate that I can't understand what he's singing. Yeah, and I think uh, that's that's probably a problem with you not having enough bourbon. Um, <laughs> and I, I think if you if you would have a couple more drinks and listen again, you might like it better. Ch- challenge accepted. That's a little again. pro tip for you, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Well, I would. I would sign on that Sturgill Simpson is one of the best writers mm-hmm. out there today. Yeah. Um, I, to me, I put him a little bit in the Bob Dylan category. You know, if he if he had just let the rest of the world sing his songs, he'd, he'd be a hero. But whoever the brain-dead non-visionary was that stuck a microphone in his hand and said, you should sing your own songs, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'll never understand where that inspiration came from. Well, I don't know. I don't know. But he's uh, definitely, uh, I, I think, like you said, as a writer, you get you get more depth in that music and, and more thought than you get a lot of places right now in terms of music that you can, yeah. you can go hear. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we'll close with a couple of these. Uh, and, again, we're only asking you to say complimentary things. So hopefully listeners out there, nobody will be offended. Um, your time in the legislature I know you've had um, political influences we've talked about a little throughout your life from the time you were young up to your early years in the legislature. Um, of all the people you worked with, who had the sharpest brain to take sophisticated legislative issues, interpret them accurately, and be able to regurgitate them in a way most common folks could understand um, and effectively do that um, to move policy in the legislature, either party, anybody. Um, wow, that is that is a that is a tough question. That is, uh, you know, probably um, you think about 
you know, some of the tax folks and mm-hmm. some of the stuff they have to come out and explain about what does what. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Johnson does a really good job of being able to explain complicated tax stuff um, in a way that people understand it. Yep. Um, uh, John Rubin is a former legislator who ran the uh, Corrections and Juvenile Justice Committee, um, and, and he could certainly explain things well. Lance Kinzer, someone, uh, former judiciary chairman, who could explain things. Too many words sometimes, mm-hmm. but, but Lance was very intelligent Sharp and could mind. do that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I think b- over on the on the Senate side, uh, they've had people through the years when Derek Schmidt was in the Senate. Yep. Um, he was very capable of taking complicated stuff and explaining it. Still does as Attorney General, quite he's, frankly. Yeah, he's one of the best I've ever seen at he, that. You know, in, in terms of, I think, a legislative mind and someone who understands how to build consensus and do the difficult work there, Ron Reichman is one of the – our current speaker is somebody I – uh, have a lot of respect for and and really understands the dynamic of of dealing with people mm-hmm. uh, the people side of politics um, so I, I would say those guys maybe on explaining policy to folks and and then on the other side I would say you know Ron probably gets the people dynamic and the ability to move people more than most yeah and man you have to have both oh it's you great if you can both. find both. I think you can find people who have a strength in one area or the other. Yeah, um, but not many. No, and, not many can and do yeah, both. Yeah, I should have clarified. When I say you have to have both, I mean, to be effective in the legislature, you need both kinds of people uh, in your camp because they are two very different skills, no doubt. Absolutely. And, I mean, you know, I still you know, look around and, and you see people do things sometimes. You go, man, I want to be able to do that. You know, mm-hmm. and, you, and you have a constant uh, need, or I try to have a constant need to improve and and do it better and learn from those people around me and say, oh, that was a very effective tactic. I want to try to pick that up and do that in, yeah. in the things that I do. Yeah, no doubt. Well, hey, we're going to wrap up now, but I can't thank you enough for coming on board, Blaine. Hey, it was, man. It was fun to have you here. Great to be here and uh, and look forward to uh, hearing what Gavin has to say someday <laughs> when he listens to this. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, when the editing is done and it goes public, we'll shoot him a note. I'm, I'm yeah. still betting the ADD kicks in before it gets to that part. Let me know if I can get a spare key for your locker down there in the, in the west side of Wichita, too. I might want to stash a couple cigars <laughs> on my way through. Roger that. All right. Well, Blaine, thank you for being on here. Uh, Podcast listeners, always fun to have you. Stay tuned for next time.